What's up, guys? Doug Polk here, and welcome back to another episode of the Doug Polk Podcast. Today, we are joined by the winner of the biggest poker tournament of the year. Corey Aldemer is going to be joining us shortly to talk about his victory in the World Series of Poker main event. But before we do that, a couple items I want to talk about for a second. Last week, we were joined by Player of the Year, World Series of Poker Player of the Year. Josh Ariate stopped by the podcast to talk about all kinds of stuff, all of his deep runs, as well as sort of his philosophy on tournaments and life in general. Definitely check that one out if you haven't. And later this week, we have a special double header podcast for you, or two podcasts in one week. Hikaru Nakamura will be joining us to talk about the recent chess championship, maybe chess in general. And I'd love to talk about how AI has changed chess and the current state of things. But first, today's podcast is brought to you by CoinFlex. CoinFlex is a cryptocurrency derivatives exchange and is the home of crypto yield for people to both trade and earn crypto. The CoinFlex platform provides an array of products that serve investors and traders of all skill levels from passive beginners to active experts. What I'm most excited about with our new partnership with CoinFlex is exploring the many opportunities that people can use to make money today, whether it's trading, automated market making, or simply holding Flex USD. There are so many ways to explore earning money now. CoinFlex can help you make the most from crypto, allowing you an opportunity to take charge and chart your course to your financial destiny. So what are you waiting for? Head on over and check out CoinFlex at www.coinflex.com today. Legal disclaimer, none of the information contained here constitutes an offer to buy or sell any currency, product, or financial instrument to make any investment or to participate in any particular trading strategy. Okay, with that out of the way, let's have our guest today join in. Corey, thank you for joining us today. Hey, yeah, thanks for having me. What's up, Doug? Uh, not not too much here. Not too much. Just having some technical difficulties right out of the gate. That's how we of like course, to get things going, you know, just mess up our banners in the background and kick things off really just in that. Uh, that uh, That's how it's supposed to go. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, I just want to start off by saying thank you for, for joining us today. Obviously, every year, whenever you can get the World Series of Poker main event champion to come on, talk about the event and poker. I think that's probably one of the most uh, high-profile guests to get, and I just want to say thank you for taking the time. Yeah, of course, of, of course. I mean, I have to I have to get used to doing that kind of stuff, interviews and so on. But I mean, so far it's fun. So yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you're going to be doing a lot of them. So yeah, that's that's certainly something to to be ready for. All right, uh, for the audience here, let's talk a little bit about kind of your poker background. I think that you've had a, a fairly successful career in tournaments over the last I don't know eight eight nine years. I think your first hand and mob results start coming up about eight or nine years ago. So what's kind of your background? How did you get to where you are today? Where did you start playing? Can you just give a little poker background? Yeah, so I mean, the first first time I played was when I was like 16, 17. So I'm 31 now, so like 13 years ago or so. But this this is just for fun. And um, when I first studied in, in Germany, so I'm from from Germany originally, um, I met someone who was a professional poker player. This is like in 2010. And I thought, wow, this is awesome. I want to try that too. So I played a little bit like besides my my, my, my studies. Then I moved to, to Vienna in 2012. This is also for studying though mainly. Um, and then I actually, that year, around that year, this, this is where I have my first hand and mob cash, I think. This is, but this is like a 200 buy-in or something. Um, um, at that year, I, I met some some other guys who are kind of successful now actually, but we were all playing low that back then. So this is like Rainer Kempe, Julian Thomas. They're also from Berlin. I met them yeah, like nine years ago. And then 2013, I met I met Fedor. I think most people know Fedor probably. 
And this is also before his first success when, when we met. And then pretty pretty soon after I met Fedor, Fedor was like going going crazy. And um, yeah, that's, I mean, around that time, I, I started playing a little bit higher too. And then, yeah, around 2016, I started playing the very big stuff. Would you say that you've only focused on tournaments or have you done much cash game as well? Or has it really just been a tournament focus? Oh, the only thing I played seriously were, were always tournaments. I mean, at, at first, when I first got into poker, I tried everything out, right? But I was just playing for fun. Like I played a little bit of cash, a little bit of tournaments, a little bit of sit and goes. But when I, when I like started playing seriously, I, I always played tournaments. It, it's kind of interesting to me when you look at German players, because there were a lot of good German players, but they seem to mainly be drawn towards tournaments. And I almost feel like that's a bit of a, it's a bit weird for Germans specifically, because when I think of Germans, I think a lot of the Germans that I've met along the way, they're very down to business. I'm here to make the money. I'm here to do the, the process oriented. Uh, and, and they tend to be um, you know very good at it. But Tournaments have a little bit more of a degenerate feel to them. You know, the Russia going deep, the, the adrenaline pumping through your veins, the flip. Uh, yeah. what, what what draws the German com- poker community so much towards tournaments? I don't know, man. I haven't thought about that, actually. But yeah, maybe maybe that's true. I mean, I, I don't know. It's probably, yeah, because other Germans are playing tournaments too, maybe, and are successful at it. So you kind of copy what, what they're doing. Maybe that's why. But I mean, there, there's some German cash game players too, right? Like, I mean... I don't know. I mean, Linus isn't from Germany, but like he he's, he's, he speaks German, and uh, I don't know my friend Stefan. And, and now I think I know that some some young guys are coming up, but but really I, I'm not that big into the cash game scene, so I don't really know. I haven't thought about that actually. Yeah, there definitely are some of the guys from from back in the. I mean, Christoph Vogel saying obviously yeah. he was really good in tournaments, but he also had a cash game background as well. The tight man, uh, you yeah. know, he played a lot of heads up, but we never we never actually got a match in, and I, I was disappointed by that. Oh, okay, um, and then okay. a bunch of other guys that were good at heads up, uh, Volker, Johnny. Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so there's there's certainly a bit of a crew, but the 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 high stakes German MDT crew has seemed to flourish. And there was a period of time, I think, about five years ago, where the German crew was kind of the MDT crew, right? The Fedor Rainer uh, type crew. So it, it seems like Germans have, have done very well in the in the tournament scene, but uh, not, not as much lately. I feel like I've seen less of it. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny. There were different, different like German groups. Basically, Be- before us, there was um, the, a, a different crew, which is like um, Igor Koganov, Philip Grusa, um, uh, Fabian Gross, those, those those kind of guys. They they played, played like before us. They were the Germans, and then like an Ole came in, Ole Shemion, and then Fedor came in, uh, Reiner, Steffen, me to some degree. So yeah, there were kind of different crews, uh, which is a bit funny. And now lately, I mean. Yeah, so some of some of us aren't playing that 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 much anymore. I mean, I mean, Stefan Sontheimer, for instance, isn't really playing tournaments anymore. Um, so yeah, it's it slowed down a little bit. That's that's true, actually. Yeah, Stefan always struck me as a very good player too. I think he was quite sharp and for sure. Yeah, you can you can tell with him that he has a cash game background. I I feel like when I when you play tournaments, you can tell the guys that have cash game backgrounds and the guys that don't because the guys that don't, they're a little more artistic. They're a little more likely to find interesting spots and kind of get in the weeds and do something sort of weird. But the guys that have those cash game fundamental backgrounds, you just tend to see more solid play consistently where they're making good decisions. And you can kind of see those techniques. It's two different styles. Would you agree with that? 
Yeah, I have to I have to defend my my tournament buddies though. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm team team tournaments. Uh, there there are some 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 players where you think okay, this this, this <laughs> only a cash game player who's not used to playing tournaments would do that. <laughs> so that's like kind of the counterpoint. But of course, I agree with you. Like a lot of the cash game players uh, players are like very they're very smart and like seeing spots a little differently. At least tra traditionally, I think it might be like changing a bit these these days. Um, I think a lot of the tournament guys are, are like server oriented these days too um but but yeah you you, you definitely have a point there yeah I, and also to be fair when you play a tournament spots are very different and a lot of times you get in situations with different stack sizes or weird stack sizes or icm implications or there, there are just so many things at stake and, and this is actually one of the great things about tournaments when you look at it from an online perspective it's very hard for bots to beat people online um, I'm sure that those bots are getting better by the moment every year they are, but it's a lot harder because there are so many factors that you have to consider when you're looking at online play versus cash games where hundred big blinds, you know, you, you can just go down that game tree a, a lot more simply more players, more ICM considerations, more unique situations. I, I think that's actually uh, great for, uh, the future of poker is to have formats that you have to take into account a lot of different things. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, as you said, like tournaments have a little bit of, of everything, especially the different stack sizes, right? But also different tournament situations, as you said, because when ICM plays a role, when it plays a little bit less of a role. So yeah, that, that kind of stuff is super interesting and, and definitely, um, yeah, it, it's, it's tougher to put it in a solver. Let, let, let's put it that way, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely true. Let's talk a little bit about playing tournaments for a living because I've not gone through this much myself. I always had short stints. I've had lots of friends that played tournaments for a living, and I feel that playing tournaments for a living, not everyone can do it. It can be very stressful, and you can go through really extended runs where things go poorly. What What are your thoughts on the stress of playing tournaments for a living, and do you have any general advice to people that are trying to do that? Um, yeah, you're right. So, so the things I don't really have the comparison to cash games, right? Because I don't, don't never really played cash games for a living, so I only know how it is to play tournaments for a living. And yeah, that, that definitely can be can be stressful. I mean, um, of, of course, there there are big big downswings, big big upswings, uh, which is just 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 normal. It's just the way math works. You you just lose a bunch lose a bunch of tournaments in a row sometimes. And um, yeah, sometimes you do question yourself even as a good player. Wait, maybe. Am I doing something wrong? Have they have they caught up? And it goes the other way around too. It's kind of how human like psychology works, right? Like if you win like three tournaments in a row, you suddenly think you're the best. So and yeah, uh, it's kind of an important uh, skill, I think, to um, not focus on on those kind of things too too much. And like, um, yeah, remember that variance is a thing, and so on. Um, but yeah, especially if you lose a little, uh, like a couple of big spots in tournaments in a row, it, it can be really like. Like stressful, yeah. You, you don't have like a monthly income sometimes, maybe, yeah. Especially well, at the beginning of a poker career, right? Like when people are like trying to pay rent, maybe or, or something, and then just, just keep losing. So yeah. When people start playing tournaments and run badly, they tend to not play tournaments for a living. So exactly. I think you, you yeah. kind of get you kind of get a biased sample of the people playing all did pretty well out of the gate because that's why they continue playing, that's, right? That's, so. that's such a good point, actually, which uh, also messes with like tournament ROIs significantly, in my opinion, because every everybody who's a tournament wreck basically ran ran well at the beginning of, of their career. So like all, all the numbers of winning poker players are kind of messed up uh, due to that fact. Yeah, that's a good point. Totally agree. And we're going to get into ROIs in a little bit here because there's a great conversation to be had about the, the main event specifically. But going just going back to talking about uh, the downswing 
aspect of playing tournaments for a living. What's, what was your most prolonged downswing that you went on longest period of time before you got back to even? I don't know. I have a good number in mind, but I mean, there are definitely some, some, some months uh, without, without winning. Although I have to, I have to admit, I've never been the guy who like played six or seven days a week, like for, for months. I, I never did that. So naturally, my, my my sample size is always a little little bit smaller. Um, I, I'm sure like guys who play low stakes seven times a week won't go months without like if they're a good winning player won't go months without without losing. But um, I often like especially in the last years, I mainly played the the bigger series and stuff. And and of course, if it goes goes badly, you can you can just not not win for for quite some time. But I don't have like a number of games really that I, I can could tell you. Yeah. Okay. All right. I gotcha. Um, moving over, it's just to talking about World Series of Poker stuff and just some of the stuff kind of going on, going on around it. What are your thoughts on the the markup discussion? Obviously, this happens outside of the World Series of Poker too, but I think it's most prevalent during the World Series. We see a lot of players selling their action and selling it even in high rollers. And then, of course, there's going to be com- community dissent on the markup that they're charging. The best examples are, of course, Phil Helmuth charging whatever Phil's charging in any event. And then also Mike Mass out charging for a bunch of 10Ks. But it's not just those two. Tons of guys do it. Lots of guys are selling. What, what are your thoughts on that ecosystem and these people that, have, that are selling in the, in the higher echelon of markup and markups in general? Ooh, that, that, that's tough. I mean, first of all, everybody like kind of overestimates their their, their self a little bit in poker. I feel like so um, it's natural that a lot of people probably um, want too much markup. So I think that definitely was a was a period of time where people would always charge too too much markup. Also in in high roller tournaments, maybe I think this this is even before my time. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like I, I, I've, I've sold it at, at like the, the very big buy-ins I play. I always sell action too, but I sell many, many to people I know. So try to do something, something fair with them. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, I assume it's a thing that that some people that have a big name sell for too, too high markups. But like I, I don't know too much about it. To be, to be it could be honest. you now, man. WSOP main event champion right, selling yeah. at four point seven. Get it, get it while it's hot. <laughs> yeah maybe i should maybe i should consider that yeah yeah true <laughs> uh, now that i think about it it's i think it's totally fair it's g- great for everybody uh, bring on the high markups <laughs> yeah let's let's do it yeah uh while we're on the markup conversation these things kind of go hand in hand but rois in the main event are also quite the discussion and i feel that we see it every year there are the people that think that no one can have that great of an roi and then there are the people that think that phil ivy is winning at two hundred thousand percent in the main or whatever the actual number is that they come up with what are your thoughts on sustainable rois in the main event and do you have any thoughts on when people seem to get into this absolute i guess debate about what what is realistic and people start betting do you have do you have thoughts on ROIs in the main event yeah i actually i actually thought that before before the main started that, that there was this discussion on, on twitter this this year that some of the like the very respected pros said that mark uh, that that ROIs aren't that high in the main uh, as people think i'm not sure i was i was surprised at that cuz cuz i think that 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 there are some some good ROIs possible in the main oh you think that <laughs> <laughs> i think like as as a good player you should should have like an ROI of maybe like what is it Eight eight thousand percent. Like, yeah. Okay. No. Um, no. Um, but um, no. I, I think in, in, in a tournament like like the main with such a good structure and so many amateur players, I think um, a good ROI is, is possible. I don't. I don't know what the number is. I 
actually, I, I don't think it's as high as, as some people think. So I actually crossbooked like three three people in the turn or tournament this 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 year. Did like, you, or, did you or get or like, you and and they got somebody else? Not, not me against them, but um, three um, like one person wanted to buy three people at four point five. So I I um, booked them for five, like five percent. Um, so I don't think everybody anybody beats that. Um, but like I also think because because some people said that they think uh, nobody has like over eighty percent RI or something. And I I I would be very surprised if, if that was true. Like I don't I don't know what the actual numbers, but I'm I mean there 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 have to be people that 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 have like more than hundred percent RI. I don't. But I, feel, I mean, I'm not an expert of that. I haven't done the math. It's it's tough to do sure. the math, also. So yeah, I'm sure it's that, higher than 100, but I don't know what the number is. Yeah, I think 100 percent would be would be really low if that was the ceiling, and I, and I think it's almost certainly not the case. Yeah, I think between 100 and and, and 300 somewhere. I, I, like yeah, I, I don't know, but I I know that's that's like I think Ike said, uh, and I think Patrick Leonard they 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 said they think it's. It's, it's lower than than 100. So of course, if, if those people they they're both super smart and and think about poker, like like um, very often, if, if they if they it's say a, something, you you consider that obviously. It's lower than 100 percent ROI ceiling. If I'm not misremembering now, I, I think that that was the discussion like when when the main started this year. That yeah. Wow, I think that that is all. so. One of two things kind of has to be true there. Either they're wrong, uh, be, and or. All of the markets around this are wrong, including poker shares, including what people are buying and selling at. Uh, I think there's, I, I think that 100% ROI is certainly obtainable. And then I question some of the higher end ROIs. I think that there's two sort of arguments to be made. The first argument is really good people get to play against a lot of really bad people, and eventually the stakes get really high. And for example, we're going to we're going to talk a lot about, about your final table here in a little bit, but. The final table, I did not feel like was very strong. I, I'm not trying to take anything away from the win here, but there were a lot of players that I felt w- weren't weren't the, the the best tournament players, right? But that's normal for the main. Of course, every main event you have, you start with however many thousand people, you get down to the end, you're going to have a lot of players that aren't aren't that great. And if you just think about now, you're playing for millions of dollars versus these people. It's kind of hard to imagine in those instances that you're not getting so much ROI to make up for the times that you're not running deep that maybe it can average out. Of course, I have also not run the numbers, but so I guess the first argument would be that really good players get to play well for so long in such deep levels that they're going to do it. And then, and then the second argument would be you're going to have guys like Phil Helmuth, Daniel Negreanu, Doyle Brunson, when, if and when he plays, Phil Ivey, who, any, that class of player where I think they just get a bunch of free money because people want to have the story versus them. They want to have a hand. They tried to bluff them or they made a big call or whatever it was, and then they're just going to take terrible lines. So both of those are both those camps seem kind of reasonable that you could get up to three, four hundred percent ROI. I, I I feel a little bit what's more likely is the second camp actually does a bit better because le- the, the best example is Phil Helmuth. If you look at Phil Helmuth's big field MTT record, it's actually kind of it's actually very impressive. He's done really well in big yeah. field tournaments for a long time. And whenever I watch Phil Helmuth, I'm not blown away with how amazing his play is, to put it lightly, but the guy wins. So clearly there's something going on in these large field events where he's getting a lot of value that other people are not. So um what what are your thoughts on what are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, th that, that's definitely true. That um, of, of course, like I, I remember that the first times I played against someone like like, like Phil Hamuth or Nigrian, you are a little bit intimidated, and you probably don't 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 play perfectly. So that that's a good point. And um, yeah, I, I agree with everything you, you you've said. I mean, there there are a lot of people that um, that. That don't play a 10k buy-in that, that often let, 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 let's put it that way or that on, on the bubble is like a very specific scenario right where they're just trying to fold into the money no matter what they will fold aces probably so so there are like a lot of spots where where of course as a as a good winning player you can make a lot of money i just don't know like what's the number that that that, that comes out of that if it's if, if if that means okay we can have a ri of 120 percent or if it's like 180 percent or if it's 300 percent I, I don't know, like um, so because of what what I said earlier that that or what we both said earlier that most losing or that that both most good players that were losing aren't playing anymore. So yeah, that, that just screws with the numbers so much. So you you can't look at the history basically, and uh, yeah, it's very tough to do the math. I think and yeah, like a lot of good players are disagreeing on that. So yeah, it's apparently not not that easy to figure that out. And I I don't have the solution. <laughs> Absolutely fair. There's a question I have to ask you. The people have, have been pounding at the gates, and I feel like I, I would be doing a disservice without asking this question. You don't have to answer it, of course. But what percentage of yourself did you have in the World Series of Poker main event? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I don't want to say like the, the number, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I had I had a few few uh, few swaps, um, but I had a good amount of myself. Yeah, and luckily I didn't really have to sell anymore for 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 10k so yeah some some swaps but i had a good good amount okay that's totally fair look i i you know the people the people they're in the comments right now no, by the way, i understand the question of of course i just i don't know i don't, I don't want to say the, the right that's number totally know. fair I, I can understand that all right so let's get into talking about the the main event itself did you have any notable early hands i think that a lot of people are interested as well in obviously once things get down to the end you can see all of the hands but is there an approach that you kind of bring in a huge field like this that might be a little bit different than people might think? And did you have any cool hands or interesting hands or lucky hands that kind of had to go your way early on in the event? Yeah, I had some some fun hands, actually. So, yeah, like the, the tournament went super, super interestingly, actually, because I had a very bad first two days and then I had a very good, obviously, last seven days or whatever. Um, so I've, I've mentioned the, the this hand before on day one, which is kind of kind of cool, I think. I made a very, very big laydown. Um, so it goes um, this um, super nice, nice, nice lady opens in the in the hijack, and she she played kind of kind of well actually. And anyways, uh, cut off cut off calls. I defend in the big blind with uh, what did I have? Oh, I might mess this up now. I think I had six four, and so it comes jack seven five. She c bets cut off folds. I call. This is completely rainbow. Turn is an eight, so I make straight. I check, she bets smallish, I raise, and she three bets very big. Like, um, and I don't know, I thought she wouldn't overplay her, her hand um, the, the, the way she, she played before. So she wouldn't just go crazy with like an overpay or something, which some people would do maybe. And this is also not a spot that, that gets bluffed really, <laughs> I feel like, ever. Um, how, how deep so are you in this hand? I. What was the last uh, eighty bricks? Maybe I don't. I, I, I don't okay. know. Um, this might be wrong. Something like that, maybe. Um, yeah. Uh, anyways, I, I ended up folding because 
yeah, I thought, okay, maybe it's like top set or something, but it's like 10-9 a lot. And uh, I'm drawing that against 10-9. I'm not for sure winning against like like top set. And this is the main event. I might get a better, better spot maybe. So yeah, I, I made the hero fold and it ended up being uh, correct. So um, at the end of the day, I was kind of feeling like, like I, I ended the day with half starting stack, like 30K. But I, I was I was kind of happy. Like I, I I just didn't make any hands in the first day. I made like the, the zero fold. I made like one one two other laydowns with, with that I thought were good. So I was kind of thought thinking I, I'm free rolling now. And yeah, second that's a, day that's, was, an, that's an impressive laydown. I had to feel good when she, she. I assume she showed you the the the, the goods or. Yeah, so I was talking like she didn't um, immediately show me, but um, I mean maybe maybe she was trolling me and she 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 made like the sickest bluff against me. I wouldn't rule it out completely. But I was talking to my friend Yoni Yukiminen was at the table, another regular, and I was telling him about the hand and the break, and he said, "Oh, you made a big lay down, right? Did you have like two pair or something?" And I was like, uh, "Dude, I had a straight actually," and he didn't believe it. And then he, the, the two of them, actually talked, and she told him that. That she wow. had to wait, and then I got to talk uh, her after the, the the day. As I said, she was very nice, and so we talked about the hand. And yeah, she she told me she had ten nine. Maybe maybe she, maybe she was she was still bluffing after the day, but I assume she was she was telling the truth. I yeah. I, I kind of feel like in that spot, um, most most people are pretty honest, but there are always some psychopaths that are going to just you know to the to the bitter end are going to just run the bluff so i yeah, you never maybe. know 100 so, right but yeah. so maybe i made a super bad lay down and i'm just like uh yeah but i was feeling good about it so yeah uh, and nice. then sec- second day was wasn't going too well either and then on the third day i started choosing i don't know if you want to hear some other hands or sure i, I think people would love that there were some <laughs> there were some some funny hands on day three so this is the I, I, i'm still like starting stack this is the middle of day three right I'm still 60k. I remember, like, I'm texting a friend. Uh, she was asking me how I was doing. I said, <laughs> "Like, still the stack we started with two days ago. I'm probably gonna bust soon." But thanks for asking. So, um, but like, like, little after I, um, so we had this this person at our table who was playing flops very very fast. This this means uh, just all in. So, like, like 30, when... 40 seconds of tanking, or? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just, no, I, just I, I, <laughs> I, I had to take the shot. All right, carry on. Good one, good one. Um, no, she 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 would just go all, all in, basically, like a couple times the pot or something. Um, and so I, I had the sand against her where, where I had two pair. She went all in on the river with uh, for like two X pot. I called, doubled up. And then a couple hands. And, and then, then she did like double up against all the other regulars at the table. And then there was... The big hand where somebody opened. I flatted with nines. Um, she called in the small blind, and before the dealer could like open the flop, she said, "Hit me, dealer! Hit me! Hit me! Hit me!" <laughs> and uh, flop comes out. That's a out. good table. That's a good flop. table. Actually, the yeah, yeah. So the the flop is eight five five, and she snap goes like after saying like "Hit me, dealer! Hit me!" She snap goes all in for like five times the pot. Um and the uh, the other guy uh, folded and I I mean I had nines I just just okay I hope I guess she has an eight maybe I hope she doesn't have a five I, I don't really want to play this this big of a pot I guess but I think I have to so yeah I called and she had um, sixes so that was a good hand to to see 
and uh, I held. And so like 15 minutes after having 60K on day three, I suddenly had like 240. And yeah, from that point on, I kind of didn't lose a hand anymore for a week, <laughs> basically. That's a, that's a wild hand. Very, very uh, aggressive bluff there. They hit me into a jam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I don't think you can get 100% ROI in the main. It's just too tough, and the field <laughs> is... <laughs> yeah, no, just, yeah. Just but, yeah. And then, yeah, dude, I mean, we were joking about it earlier. I made some good hands in the following days. <laughs> I made some good hands. It's so. important, and I think that when people see that you won a tournament, obviously... They want to hear about the really cr- cool plays and the interesting spots. And I mean, hands like that 6 4 are very interesting where you had to make that laydown. And um, that's a tough laydown to make. But the reality is, if you want to beat thousands of people in a poker tournament, you're going to have to hit some really big hands. There's no, there's no other way around it, right? You have to be able to stack people. So I, I, I wouldn't be, you know, yeah, no, it's, it's, actually, it's, fine. I, it's fine to just get paid when you have value bets that there's. Nothing wrong I with that. I actually have some, I have one other fun hand on from from day two actually, which is kind of like because I, I thought I feel like this hand was six four on, on day one. I felt like I, I should have bust there, and then on on this second day, this, again I, I had a short stack for for day two, day three. So I had like thirty bigs on the button. I open with um, jack eight and uh, the big blind defense, and it comes like ten five three. I want to say I see bet. Got called, hit a turn, uh, hit a hit a jack on the turn. So I have top pair now. He checked. I continued betting. Um, he called and river kind of bricked out. So it's like ten. I don't know what the river was. Anyways, I still had a value value. I had a value jam with my with my with my top pair, but I I left like two or three hundred chips. I didn't put in the pot basically. So I I bet like I don't know nineteen thousand out of my nineteen thousand five hundred or whatever. And so the and the big blind, like thought for like three, four, five seconds, and then put me all in. And usually, like of course, I have a value bet, but usually people call when they have a worse hand and don't go all in. And I feel like I don't beat that many hands that go all in. Of, of course, I'm not folding right, but I was thought, okay, maybe he river two pair, maybe he was slow playing something. I was very sure I was beat there, so I was already kind of standing up, calling, tapping my hand, and he just had. The, the second pair, the, the 10, which is like a reasonable bluff catcher, but I was very surprised to, that, that he were in there wow. and felt like it was the second time in the tournament I thought, okay, I'm out, but, but I wasn't. Yeah. I, I would not expect to see that. It's kind exactly. of a weird decision because if you're bluffing, you fold, and if you value bet, you're calling. So, I mean, maybe he thought, okay, this is just like, this is, I, I don't know, 0.5% of the pot that he's jamming there. You might as well jam. Maybe I do something stupid or something maybe he realized that you need to bluff one out of 216 times and he just picked the exact right optimal bluff frequency and uh, yeah, almost worked maybe yeah Pro- probably not yeah all right so uh that's very fun first few days of the tournament obviously the bubble burst when the bubble happened were you were, were you chipped up at that point or what was your stack like when the when the money bubble burst yeah so this is end of end of day three the the bubble burst so when when the bubble burst day three was over basically so yeah i was cruising on on day day three and like before the bubble i had a big stack opening a lot of hands um yeah actually i had a tough table but so yeah, the, the short stacks obviously played played tight and so on. And then, um, like an hour before the bubble burst, 
So I was a pretty big stack at that point. I mean, I had maybe 800, 900K, which is like double average or something. No, yeah, like, like double average, more than double average. And then the seat two to my left was free. And who got seated there? Jason Kuhn with a bigger stack than I had. Oh, so no. Just, I, I like Jason, but that was not who I wanted to see at that, at that point in time. So I couldn't open that many hands anymore because, yeah, he, him on my left, bigger stack than I had. So That's yeah, tough, that kind of ruined yeah, my, my bubble pressuring chances but yeah of course still a good spot it's difficult in in some of those situations too because you're you have to you have to think how how aggressive is he going to get with me and does he think that i'm probably going to be playing tight and what is optimal range look like here obviously you have to tighten up but how much and can i still pick on some other people that's uh it's very unfortunate to be in that situation i mean you're the ev of your spot changes so drastically between those two different scenarios yeah, that, that, yeah, that, that's true. That's true. But yeah, I mean, I had the uh, yeah, the, the bubble lasted forever. Actually, this hand for hand, but yeah, it was obviously a very very good day. I think I saw some tweeting about how long the bubble went on for. How how long was it hand for hand for? I think maybe an hour or like ninety minutes. But the the, the, the problem was that it, it weren't that many hands, but a, a hand just took like fifteen minutes or so because the TV crew had like we had to wait until all the tables we're finished with the hand and then the tv crew rushed over there filming everything so yeah took a while i like the... my, my, my friend diddy did he just 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 left it was a short stack just left an hour before he said okay um him getting getting enough sleep is more important than maybe getting aces here <laughs> that's actually not a bad not a bad decision although if a lot of people were doing that it would change the dynamic a little bit but not not a terrible decision i think get some yeah. sleep I think I saw him tweet about that, actually. Yeah. I loved the photo that right as the money burst where everyone is cheering, super pumped up to the money burst. And there's 40 people in the frame and there's just one guy without his phone. Every other person has their phone out. Oh, oh! I think I Did saw that, that actually. Yeah, this is funny. Yeah, I also always feel like the whole room is cheering, right? And then the poor guy that that, that just just bubbles has to like walk, walk of shame there. Walk of shame, it's indeed. Bad for the for the guy, of course. Yeah. Don't don't they give they give him something, right? Don't if you bubble, don't you get a seat in the main next year? Well, yeah, I think I think they do, but but I mean, if you would like that, so then the guy before him is just the bubble boy, right? But there's always somebody that doesn't get anything. Yeah. Eventually, so yeah, yeah, I think the the, the actual factual bubble boy gets a seat for next year's main, so it's not too bad. Yeah, nice that they did that. Although the fact it's not really in the in the fine print, the bubble is kind of the 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 bubble actually isn't as fierce as as it seems because you get a little rebate. Yeah, food for thought. It maybe maybe it's actually not that bad to bubble. Yeah, it's still pretty bad. <laughs> All right. Uh, so after you made the money, started to build up a stack. Any cool hands as you got deeper in the main? me think um so day four was kind of not too spectacular i i mean i i think i still like two x my, my stack or something which is good but wasn't so i wasn't one of the chip leaders after day four were there any cool hands not none that comes to mind right now um the kind, saw, kind of crazy Chid- thing is chidwick yeah. had a big stack right did you ever play any, any hands with him I actually got moved. No, not really. I like. I, I got moved to to his table like right before he he busted. Basically, mm. I, I mean, I, I I like Stevie a lot. I know I've known him for a while, but uh, of course, I was happy that he was. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. yeah. So no, didn't, didn't play any hands with him. Um, yeah. The kind of fun thing is like people of, of course asked me how often where was I all in for my tournament life. Actually, I think just once on day two. <laughs> 
Wow. So I always had kind of a big. St I mean, this is of course this this doesn't. I'm not trying to say, wow, I played so good and it wasn't even all in for my tournament life. This is also part of, of run good, of course, right? That I didn't have to be all, all, all in, basically, just um, once on day two. So, yeah, day four, kind of, yeah, middle stack. And then day five was an insane day, insane day. I just made every every hand, basically, and ended the day as a strip leader. Yeah. How good did that feel on that day? You had, to, that had, that has to be running insanely hot, deep in the main and building a big stack has to be one of the absolute most fun moments you could possibly have in poker, right? What's more fun than that? Yeah, I mean, it feels it feels so weird, right? Of course, you like as a tournament player, you, you, you dream of that. I remember like having watched the main event coverage like 10, 12 years ago or something. And of course, you kind of imagine, okay, maybe I'm in that spot one day, but you don't really think that it's, it's going to happen. And um, yeah, it felt, felt, of course, good. Every time I was like, okay, Maybe eight would be nice. Eight, eight, eight. Uh, there's an eight. <laughs> so like every hand. So um, yeah, but um, of course, adrenaline started kicking in. Also, like this is day five. We're already playing for some 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 big money now, and um, yeah, it's more and more stressful. But of course, also very very fun. Yeah, as a chip leader. Did Did you feel that uh, you started to get worn down as the event went on? Because I think a lot of people when they run deep in the main, they talk about how just kind of exhausting it is. You're playing these super long days. Obviously, once the field gets down to just one day altogether, you're not getting off days. You're just you're just grinding it, basically grinding it out. Did you start to feel run down at any point? For sure, for sure. Like, yeah, maybe from from day five on, basically, just it, it, it's tough to it's tough to calm down after like a day of adrenaline pumped playing poker 10, 10 hours. So we, yeah, every every day lasted ten hours of play plus breaks. You don't get to eat much. You just you sleep very badly. So. Um, yeah, uh, it, it was definitely stressful. Also, like day five, day day six. Now there's TV cameras every time you play a big pot, or, or you play on the live stream. I think I played on the live stream from day six on, anyways. So this is more stressful than playing normally. And and yeah, I mean the the others were feeling the, the same. Obviously, maybe I'm I was even more used to the situation than than most of the others, of course. Um, but yeah, I was I was I was pretty pretty exhausted the, the last few days. Yeah. As you started to build up a stack, I could see the public sentiment was starting to slowly turn to Corey should win this or he's going to win this or, you know, he, he basically the, the narrative started to become you're going to win this. Right. And I don't know if that happened around the final table bubble or if it happened once the final table was set. But somewhere in that vicinity, that was all of the chatter online. And did you start to feel some pressure when you looked at how big your lead was and you started to see that everyone expects you to kind of win this. I mean, that was, there were people betting on you or against you at one-to-one, one-to-one <laughs> yeah. one that you would win this thing. Once it got down to the final table, did you start to feel some pressure to, to close it out? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I tried to no, not look at that too much, but of course I, I, I got some, some response or that like, but I, I tried to not look like on every single notification on, on Twitter, obviously. I mean, I, I, I wasn't that, that big of a social media guy before anyways but i mean i saw that a lot of people wished me good luck and i was very happy about that but i yeah i tried to not look at everything because i thought the pressure would be even higher then um and yeah i like i remember every time i uh, so so yeah at like day, day six day, day seven interviews start coming in too right like the jeff platt and the tv crew comes over and i remember every time he he asked me if i felt any pressure i i said no no pressure i, I just tried to trick myself right kind of like believing that there is no pressure but i mean there, there, there was a lot of pressure yeah like um at, at that point also some friends from from back home like kind of heard about it and 
lots of messages are coming in and and yeah yeah as you said okay, okay i'm chip leader 100 left in the main but most of the time <laughs> you you don't win but yeah the, the pressure was was there of course yeah was it more the financial pressure of the difference in getting 100th versus getting first or was it more of just the the chance to kind of transcend poker history because when you look at people that won the main event you really do kind of notch yourself onto a completely different list of people a uh, very small list, a very exclusive list of people that have won poker's greatest prize. And I, I think that once you've won the main, people will always look at you a little bit differently. It's always he won the main. That's the guy that won the main. It's so you know what I'm saying? It's not it's not that guy plays tournaments for a living anymore. You're a main event winner. So do you think that it was more the the financial aspect of it, or was it more the notoriety? Or what what was really the driving factor and why you felt that pressure? No, but I, I want to say both, like for, for sure, both. I mean, the, the, the money is, is, is huge, like, like, like that amount. It's, it's a, yeah, it's a, a life changing amount. And, uh, but, but also what, what you just said. I mean, um, I know like some, some of my poker player friends, they, they just, just care about the money basically. But like for me, the, the, these titles are, are super cool too. I mean, um, yeah, as you said, like winning the main is, is like the poker player's dream basically. And, um, of course, I think it's it's super cool, and um, yeah, I mean, I, like I'm seeing it from my non-poker friends now. Like every, everybody has, has heard about it, so yeah, I know it, it, it's a it's a huge deal, and I I knew it was going to be a huge deal. So both of these aspects led led to the pressure. Yeah. When it came down to nearing the final table, but bubble, what were your thoughts on on how the play went? And uh, do you have do you have any thoughts about the final table bubble, and and maybe even also sort of the the I don't know if you saw much of. You were playing, so you probably didn't see a lot of what we were talking about. But we're going to have to address the speed of play at some point here. Obviously, I made a joke earlier. I understand you're playing for millions and millions of dollars, and you got you have to play well. And you, you kind of addressed this. You had a series of tweets that if if you guys have not had a chance to check out, I'd recommend uh, reading what Corey had to say kind of directly following the main event. But you, you basically talked about what it's like to be in that position and you're playing for a lot of money. You're playing. This is really important. You're you're a human being. You're not just some robot. You need to figure out what you're doing. What what were your thoughts on the speed of play? And do you think that there's kind of merit in all of the complaining that went on about how slow it was, or do you think this is just the way that it has to be? It's a uh, it's tough. Yeah, I mean, I understand that that for viewers it it, it takes long. And um, actually, like I've I've been saying this for. A long time and also most of the bigger tournaments i play are played with shot clocks right so i'm a big fan of shot clocks i i, I don't think it's it's done ideally maybe like but it's also tough to implement it ideally like I, ideally i want a, a chess clock basically so just like in chess so if if you want to take some time for your decision take it but then you're gonna have less time later basically um, if you want to store for a pay jump if you think that's worth it now, do it. But then you can think in a in a tougher spot later. So this would be ideal. Of course, it's tough to implement live a chess clock. I think online, I think it would be way easier. And I don't know why it's not done yet. But um, yeah, so so I agree with that. On the main event final table, maybe it's a bit different. I'm not sure if like super pressurizing the players is really fair. Because as I said, we're all very exhausted. And uh, I mean, especially for the for the amateurs and you're just going to see way worse poker if, if you're also forced to make a decision within like 30 seconds every time now. So I'm, I don't know, but, but in just, just, just in general, I am absolutely um, supporting 
so some kind of sh sh like shot loss. Like every game, every sport has like some some time implications. I mean, a chess chess game without shot like clocks wouldn't really work. Um, I'm, I'm sure you're going to talk about that with Hikaru the, the other day. Or um, yeah, you imagine like a basketball game and they just have infinite time to find the the right. I think that spot. used to be a thing back in the day. By the way, didn't work. <laughs> didn't work. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I think something well, has to be done. I guess. Yeah. To play devil's advocate to that, to, to play the devil's advocate to that, um, what if you people that are casual players, recreational players, they don't really like that. They like to be able to think, take their time and think, and they don't want to play in a tournament where they feel that they're being pressured into having to make decisions in time. And so a lot of the field doesn't play in that kind of event because they don't want to. Then may, maybe it doesn't, doesn't make sense. Because time, so I, I think you're kind of driving it at this point, and it's very true, which is, Time is an advantage. If you have the same player and they're playing heads up versus each other and one version of the player gets 10 seconds per action, the other guy gets a minute. The guy who gets a minute will will beat himself because he's going to have more time to think about things and make finer tuned decisions, right? When you're playing really fast, you don't have a chance to really fine tune down to very granular, granular levels as to how you're splitting your range and how you're going to, to deal with all these problems. You kind of have to just act, and you have to be more likely to just take a. You're gonna. You're, what's going to end up happening is the player that plays faster is going to have a reduced game tree. They're going to take less lines, and they're going to end up less balanced, and they're going to be just mainly taking the the, the kind of more normal standard lines. Whereas the player that gets to, to think for much longer is going to get an opportunity to really kind of dive deep and and create a more complex plan. And so there is an advantage with time. What are your What's your thoughts on? these trade-offs of what this might be like for recreational players versus versus those traps. And actually one last thing on that too. High rollers are very different. Hi, every high roller should have a shot clock. If you're going to play a hundred thousand dollar tournament, you should be able to make a decision in 30 seconds or don't, or don't play a hundred thousand dollar tournament. I think that's a totally. <laughs> <piece>. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. 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 All true. I mean, it, it, it's tough to find like the optimal solution. Probably there, there isn't a solution that, um, that, that is good for everyone and that everybody will, have, will be happy. At. Yeah. If it is that way that most of the the, the amateurs or uh, fun players don't want a shot clock, then we shouldn't have one, I, I, I guess. But I mean, it's it's kind of tough to have it both ways. I think you can't expect from the players to play quickly um, when it's not in the rules that you have like have to play quick, right? So it's it's kind of a weird trade-off. Also, like we also we only talked about the poker decisions right now this is a huge deal i agree with you but then there's also especially now with a big blind anti there are spots where under the gun where you just, just kind of want to stall because maybe it's maybe it's 25 left in the tournament there's a real row of 24 left and you're under the gun and like paying two big blinds next hand is such a huge deal um getting into the big blind um so you see so much stalling in the in the early positions now 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 in tournaments and in that kind of situations well, that's another thing this is just super annoying so so that's why i'm saying like there should be some kind of rule you can't really expect from the players to yeah as i said you you kind of know okay if you play quick now you're just going to lose some money so it's, it's this trade-off it's 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 really a lot to ask from the from the players and in, in my opinion a lot of people don't like stalling but i love stalling which is why we're going to take a moment to talk about CoinFlex. CoinFlex is a crypto futures exchange which sees over $2 billion in daily trading volume. What the team has built on top of this powerful futures trading engine is a suite of innovative crypto yield products. 
CoinFlex is committed to making crypto yield accessible to everyone. And a cornerstone of that strategy is FlexUSD. FlexUSD is the world's first interest earning stable coin. You can compound your interest three times a day, every eight hours on chain, meaning you can hold FlexUSD in a cold wallet and still earn interest. FlexUSD recently surpassed $350 million in market cap and has paid over $10 million in interest to holders in the last year alone. Creating FlexUSD is super simple and currently pays between 10 and 20% annually. Actually, I saw today it was 9.7%. So ooh, we're getting a little outside the range there. I know this community can have mixed thoughts on cryptocurrency, but we are talking about here is a 10 to 20% return annually on US dollars. No exposure to those nasty financial downturns in Bitcoin and Ethereum price. And oh boy, do we know about those lately. Just interest in a USD stablecoin automatically sent to your wallet three times a day. To learn more about FlexUSD, head on over now to www.flexusd.com. Legal disclaimer, none of the information contained here constitutes an offer to buy or sell any currency, product, or financial instrument to make an investment or to participate in any particular trading strategy. All right, and we are back. Sorry, I had to, had to, had to jump in there. You know, I just got to take take my moment. You're, Let's you're talk good, about... Man, yeah. Thank you. Thank That's you. We got the banner up. We didn't have the cluster that we had earlier at the start of the podcast, which is good. <laughs> talking about stalling, Big Blind Anti has been, I think, great for tournaments overall because it speeds things up and it reduces the number of people. Hey, where's your anti? Hey, where's and 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 look, I'm one of those guys. I'm I'm the guy. I'm jabbering to somebody. I'm probably a couple drinks in. I'm already annoying you because I'm super loud. And then I've forgotten my seventh ante. And someone's t- people just can't take that. And I, and I get that. Okay. So really, it's people like me. I, I can respect that. But the stalling aspect of that does make it interesting because you're going to lose two big blinds now when it gets to your big blind. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, just in general, big blind ante is a, is a great thing. We, I mean, we, we definitely save time doing that because it's just such an easy solution but yeah um yeah the, the only down part is, is this situation that big blind now gets significantly like worse as, as a position so um where well, which can lead to these these, these stalling things um it's kind of tough to to solve the only way again is this just look thing like, like i mean with that you could even i mean if, if you want to stall in that situation do it, but then, as I said, you you can't you can't uh, think in a in a spot later on in the tournament. So that, that would kind of solve it. How many chess part, clocks are we going to need on day one? We're talking about thousands of chess clocks. Yeah, like this is this is kind of yeah. I I, I mean I, I don't I don't know how to do it. I think Daniel tweeted something the other day how 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 we he would like to do it. Um, I don't know if, if you have like one big iPad or if it can be implemented to the table. This is this is kind of tough, but uh, some some solution would be great, of course. Yeah, I I think that I think that it would it it could work, but the actual implementation of it in big events is going to be really difficult, and and I and I do worry that it's going to have some effect on player uh, on recreational players playing. Is it that unreasonable to institute something when it gets down to, let's just say, 10 tables where you have a clock then? Because that's way more manageable. And at that point, you're going to have so many people on hand in terms of staff. Yeah, or is that, is, that, is that just unfair to the people that are now playing for a lot of money? Yeah, I mean, this has been done before. I think there are tournaments where maybe it's the WPT. I might be wrong. Um, where shot locks are implemented when the money is reached or something. So this is kind of exactly what you were saying. Um 
so yeah, in some way it can be done, but of course it kind of plays against this. Okay, now you now you're playing for big money, and now you have to make your decision quickly. So this is kind of what goes against it. Um, I don't know. I would I, I would just try out a few different things, see see how the reactions are. I mean, as I said, you can't. There there is no solution where everybody is happy with, right? But uh, I guess doing doing something. Yeah, like trying out something can't can't, can't hurt. Yeah. All right. I think as long as it's fair and upfront, everyone knows it, it, that's good too, right? If you if you don't like the idea of, of a shot clock when it gets deep, don't play. But I, I think that, that also would be less likely to impact players. I mean, I, I mean, also, I'm I'm not saying sh- shot clock doesn't have to mean okay. Now you have to act every time within like ten seconds or something, right? Like a right. reasonable amount of time so that we don't tank like um, two minutes every, every turn or like um, there are some people. I mean, there, there's there's more extreme tanking than than what what I or what we did on the final table, guys. Believe me, there there are people that um, every time um, they check, basically they they take thirty seconds. And so this is kind of what uh, what's the problem with the shot clocks? How are they done these days? You get thirty seconds per turn, right? And then the, so there are people that take thirty seconds per per turn, and so you don't gain that much time actually in the end. So um, in fact. I, I agree with you strongly. I, I forgot about this because I, I played a few. I played high roll terms for a little bit, and I actually found in some spots shot clocks made it worse because people would think, "Oh, I get thirty seconds every pre-flop action. I'm going to take thirty seconds." Then, whereas if there was no shot clock, they might have just folded their garbage immediately. Now they're getting, they're tanking all over the place. Yeah, I, I mean, I like this, this pre-flop tanking isn't really a thing, but it, it's it's more in like um, post-flop post-flop um, scenarios. I would say if you like. Yeah, just just even a C betting spot. Where usually it takes quicker, but then you think, okay, maybe sometimes I want to think about it for thirty seconds. Now then, to for, to balance it, I have to think every time now thirty seconds. Like, so this okay. is what what some people do. This is maybe this sounds more extreme as a, as, as it is really. I mean, most people in the, in the high rollers are, are are playing fair most of the time. It's just like sometimes some. I think. Do, yeah. I think a few years ago there was a big wave of. The people that played slow realized that they that they couldn't keep doing that. It was just going to cost too much, so that, that they kind of moved away from that. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I had one. So we're going to get. I have a bunch of hands prepared. Everybody in the chat. So we're going to look at uh, several different hands that were played, including the final hand because that one is extremely interesting to me. But before we do that, I wanted to ask you about the hand where you rivered a boat on queen nine eight six queen, and the guy rivered a flush. Well, well played on the river, by the way. Very nice river. I I like that one. Um. You jammed, and then you did you did you did a, a lean into your arm on the rail, and there was a bunch of chatter about is that balanced, and when do you do that? I would feel like if I bluffed in those in a spot like that, or when I run a big bluff in in real life, I try not to draw any attention to myself in any capacity. I just stare at the middle, and so when I have good hands, obviously it's much more comfortable. I do the same thing. Are you balanced with what you're doing there? Are you trying to bait them into thinking that this means you just can't even bear to look at it anymore? Or what? What are your? Why did you do that? And do you think that you're balanced when you do that? Oh, I, of course, I did that because I have, have a uh, because I had a boat. I did it both times when I had a boat. I thought it's a great strategy. Every time I have a full house, I'm gonna do that. That was the strategy. No, I mean, um, so that's. <laughs> Um, there, there was a big, there was a big hand like uh, was it day six or something. Where I made kind of a big bluff, and the guy, um, yeah, used his time, to th- thought for like ten minutes or something. And like it's 
when you're playing for like these are big spots i i, I was nervous during that bluff so i i wasn't sure is he looking at me is he maybe maybe seeing something i i didn't feel comfortable during that those 10 hands and uh, 10 minutes and i also remember like this kind of thing happened too when i I was at the PCA final tab table once. That was kind of the biggest final table I had uh, up to that point. And there I made like a big bluff too. And I was stared down for like five minutes. And um, I, re I remember like I was nervous. It, it actually worked out both times. So this kind of goes against it. But so after this main hand, I, I, I said to myself, okay, next time I'm all in on the river. I don't have a decision anymore. Just just a free roll. Like, right. I'm just, I'm just going to hide myself mm. good good luck opponent uh, thinking for 10 minutes take take your time but just not giving him the free role of maybe maybe seeing something right so yeah it, it was just every time i was going to go all in on the river i, I said to myself i'm going to do it i had it both times but this was how the tournament went anyway so yeah w would you worry about body posture would you worry about the way that you do it would you worry about how you hold yourself would, would you worry about any of those things to do it exactly identical because you are moving around a lot there I, i'm maybe it doesn't really matter as much in the main but, but in, in high rollers and stuff i feel like i would be concerned about that kind of stuff so again in the high roller we have the shot clock right so this these seven minute tanks don't happen basically True. um okay. the the, the, True. the longest you can get stared down is maybe like if a guy takes three time banks then it's two minutes and then the, then his time banks are gone so usually you, you wait 30 seconds max maybe a minute this is like a bit easier to deal with than these seven-minute tanks, right? So it's a bit different in the <laughs> in the main. And I I don't think I give away anything most of the time, but I'm not sure. Maybe I do. So this is, as I said, just just to to make sure I don't get get anything away. Just why not? Why not do this? Hard to know as well because if someone gets a really reliable read on you, they're probably not going to. Hey, man, just <laughs> so you know, you have a huge tell. They're probably just going to own you in that spot until you figure it out, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. You just have to be like Scott Seaver and and convince yourself that you have a different hand, and then you can't give anything away because you don't even know your hand. Wait, what? 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 what what's that about? I, maybe I don't I, I know just, that Scott Seaver hand. I, I, I'm I'm just kind of joking. I've talked about this a little bit on, on my podcast or my channel in general, but uh, I feel like Scott Seaver when so the thing about Scott Seaver over the years is I realize that Scott tends to tell little you know you could call them lies but mistruths about things but he gets really passionate about them and you can tell he believes them and i i think that one of the reasons why he's so great at speech play is that he just convinces himself that the story he's telling is true and so he's never lying he's just always telling the truth when he tells you this complete nonsense about during a hand i've played so many hands against scott siever where he's just chatting me up on the river it's on me i i, I he's just trying to get me to do something and i, I just, scott i'm not gonna listen to you right now i'm just gonna try and make the best you know he just he just chats it up he's got he's got world-class speech play for sure yeah 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 yeah. scott's um, for sure yeah world class okay so let's let's jump in and talk about some some hands on the final table actually but i have a few pulled up prepared but before we do that i want to talk about one hand it was it was a big hand it was the hand where it went um uh, like why, why, this guy's name is Lococino, or what was this guy's name? I, I can't remember his name. For some uh, Lococo, Lococo, Lococo. Yeah. He a, opened. You should, you should check him out on Instagram. He's a big, big, big rapper in Argentina. I'm not sure if you were aware of that. I heard, I heard that, but I I did not look it up. He's a he's a big rapper in Argentina. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Interesting. Main event brings out everybody. All right, so he opens tens in the hijack. You three bet nines on the button. 
um, you're fair, fairly deep. Was it 60, 70 points deep? Something like that, right? So, sounds right. Maybe, so, maybe, even deep, maybe, maybe even deeper than that, actually. I'm, okay. I think deeper than that. But anyways, maybe, yeah. Maybe 80. It's something like that. You threw about nines. The flop is jack-jack nine. It happens. It's okay. It's it's it's, it's still well a well played hand. Your I think your decisions in this hand are very simple because he just checks to you every time and you bet bet jam, which I think is pretty much the only way you can play this hand. He check calls Jack Jack nine, seems fine. Check calls an eight, seems fine. Reverse a three, he checks and you jam. And there's about six players left at this point, and I think you and him are are you're obviously chip leading, and he's around third ish in chips, third or fourth in chips. What are your thoughts on that spot? No. So is that wrong? Actually, actually, it's more extreme. I think I'm pretty sure it was. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was second on chips actually, okay. uh, with the seven players left. So uh, kind of a big, big deal that hand. Um, yeah, I think like from my perspective, that like pre preflop is actually the only kind of interesting thing. Maybe although it's just I, I will flat sometimes. I would just call sometimes a nine, sometimes three. But um, anyways, and yeah, as I said, after that, it's kind of kind of easy for me. Um, from his perspective. On the river, I mean, he thought I didn't have it. I guess um, it's kind of. I mean, I, I wouldn't jam that lightly, too, right? So if if, if he goes into like a leveling war there and uh, thinks, okay, my value range is going to be narrow and I might bluff too often, the, the, yeah. Then I mean, I'm, I'm always like when people go with their like like ideas or with their, with their reads f- fair play in my opinion but of, of course it's a bit it, it's of course an optimistic play on the river but i mean if, if you thought i i was i was bluffing then f- fair play <laughs> well your bet bad jam is very polar I, I think that around the bottom of your range is you know a, a pretty good jack yeah um, in sure. fact maybe maybe you would even not play some of your good jacks like this um you know, a, a, ace jack might even be the bottom of your value range. I'm not sure the way that you're, you're planning on playing this. He does have a lot of good hands, right? He can have, uh, he can have eights, he can have nines, he can have maybe jack nine suited. He can definitely have queen, queen ten suited. He can have, uh, I, I don't, I think prevop sizing. He could have just ace jack. He could have any of the suited jacks, suited Broadway yeah. jacks. Yeah. So he does have a, a lot of good hands here. That I don't think that it's necessary for him to call with tens, um, but. Yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm of course hoping when he calls the turn that he has one of those hands because, as you said, it's such a big part of his range. Um, actually, no, like, like all of those hands make total sense. You would always play him, play them that, that way. I don't think you would fast play much um, on the flop or turn. Um, so um, yeah, I, I yeah, actually, I'm, I'm just, I'm probably, to be honest, I'm probably not bluffing him on the river, but. Nice. Uh, (laughs) I mean, you've you've already said enough. I don't need to say anything here. Yeah. um, So okay. So anyway, so with that, that one actually was the most requested hand, but I didn't think that it was very interesting because I, you know, you three bet nines and hit a boat and bet three times. I I think there was very little interesting stuff. So we're gonna pull up my screen now and we're gonna get into some hands, guys. You're gonna be able to see it here too. Hey guys, there were a few parts of this podcast where we refer to hands and payout structures that were visible on screen. To see those visuals yourself, check the description for a link for the show notes on upswingpoker.com. All right. Can you see the screen? Yes. Okay, cool. Okay, so here we're down to seven-handed. Um, this hand, this hand was, was, was kind of a weird one. Um, <laughs> so you open here uh, to two million. It, 
I believe I believe this is under the gun with Queen Six suited. Is is that is that in the GTA ranges these days? Um, yeah. Are I you, mean, of course, are, so, are you flexing right now? Are you flexing in this hand, or what's going on? <laughs> um, yeah, of course, I'm I'm opening opening um, a lot of hands as the chip leader there because um, actually the the payout structure was super weird, right? I, we haven't talked about this earlier. Like, I, I'm not sure if you if, if you looked at it. So from tenth to ninth. It's an insane jump. I think 10th got less than 600 and 9th got a million. And then the jumps from like 9th to 6th or so are in total smaller than the jump from 10th to 9th, which is uh, pretty insane. So there was a big, um, yeah, big, big ICM um, implications like right before the final table. Then basically not too many, like 9 left, 8 left. Although, of Still, people play, of course, pretty tight on like the WSOP main event final table. But then, like here, seven left, six left. Um, of I'm, gonna, course, I'm actually gonna I'm gonna put it up on the screen here so people can see what we're talking about here in terms of the the um, the payouts. So yeah, and I think you, you I, think 10th, I think tenth got like five eighty or something. Okay, so this is pretty pretty insane jumps. And yeah, now that we're getting to like um, ninth and eighth are out. Um, are we six or seven hundred in the sand? Uh, anyways, I can just just for rest. just for the people that are listening to this podcast via audio, really quick. The the payouts here are a million for ninth, one point one for eighth, one point two two five for seventh, one point four for sixth. So those are the the payout jumps we're talking about. Anyway, carry on. Yeah, and, and now like six left, seven left, I can of course um, start pressurizing uh, again. And as a chip, uh, as a huge chip leader, I'm just opening a bunch of hands and I, I think queen six suited is, is, is good enough under the gun uh, but uh, yeah because people weren't playing back too much which is kind of goes against what's happening in this hand because uh, um, george was sometimes playing back and um, he was doing um, these super super light small three bets sometimes and uh, uh, he did it against me with like king five before some some other hand too and again in in, in this hand like also, if you let, if you then flat some some strong hands, right? Like, then people flat ace queen, people flat tens. So um, it's I, I don't want to fold my queen six suited against that range against the small three bet. Um, I'm basically I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm not folding. The, <laughs> and, uh, calling calling the three bet, I understand. I mean, you're getting just a phenomenal price here, and then also given given the stack situation, he's going to feel a lot of pressure if you decide to make some moves. It's it's really the open that just seems just seems a little on the light side. Maybe it's okay. I, I guess I don't know. Um, and, and so in this spot, once once he three bets, you call, and you get this flop. So he, you check. He bets three million into what has to be roughly something like eleven. Uh, what what are your thoughts here on the flop? Um, yeah, my thoughts on the flop are he is three betting a bunch of bad hands. I hope he didn't hit that flop. <laughs> I'm gonna race small and hope he has king ten, black king ten, and folds. These, th- those are my thoughts. Honestly, this is a super ex- exploitable play. Um, this is just basically this is always a one on, one and done. I think it gets a lot of folds uh, on the on the uh, flop, and like I'm I'm happy to to see him have queen three of hearts because this kind of uh, supports my reads. If he has queen three, any other suit, he's gonna fold. Um, of course, he can't have queen three of diamonds, but I guess he can have jack three of diamonds. Uh, I don't know. He's gonna fold all of those hands, um, so I'm just gonna 
love race once, hobby faults, and it, maybe, maybe if he calls, then hit a five, right? Uh, um, so yeah, but, I think I think finding some some bluffs here once in a while with a hand like this can be okay. But can we just focus on the disrespect? Can you imagine playing a suited queen here? Just some garbage in a big pot like this. No respect. I mean, queen three suit. Just a just a queen and a random low card, and he's just in there in an eleven million dollar pot. This is just this is disrespectful for me. I I'm sorry that he did that to you. Really disrespectful. <laughs> yeah, I mean he he knew he knew I was opening light. So I, I also yeah. like the the honesty. Yeah, my thought process here. I really hope he didn't hit this flop. <laughs> that yeah, was I mean, great. Some, some, sometimes sometimes you don't know to overcomplicate poker. I, I think. Fair. So you check raise. He calls. And uh, the turn you just you just shut it down. We actually didn't include what the turn is here. Um, yeah, I think I think oh turn might have actually been an ace. Uh, like the funny thing is that I haven't uh, rewatched the coverage actually. To be honest, so like seeing these these hands with you now is the first time I'm seeing those hands. I, I mean, I, I knew he had queen three of hearts here, um, but I haven't watched the actual coverage. Yeah, okay. but I think turn was was just a offsuit ace. Um, yeah, I just I just check folded. Quick note, what's up with how few chips people have? I feel like if you have 42 million chips, <laughs> you should get to feel like you're playing some poker. It feels like he's just on the ropes here with 42 million chips. I I, I feel like this is kind of unacceptable. We, we need more chips. Yeah, a lot of people have said that. Um, yeah, back in the day, everybody had like these huge uh, towers of, of chips. Um, <clears throat> I actually am a fan of not having like an... an infinite amount because it's just impossible to count but maybe this was too extreme this way like some something in between would have been better because because yeah i i, I remember was it like 50 left in the main or something and i was the chip leader and i i basically had like eight chips in front of me or something because it was after the color up and i had like these yeah big like 10 million chips or something yeah <laughs> Need need a few more for sure. I think I'm just gonna go out on a limb and assume the people in the chat. Chat, do you guys want big? Do you want a lot of chips? If you want a lot of chips, throw a like on this video uh, to show your support for lots of chips. That would be that would be great. If you if you don't want big chips or you want don't want more chips, then I don't know, dislike it or something. Okay, what else do we got here? One sec. Here we go. Let's pull this one up. Should I have this more organized? Okay, this is the next hand. So we're we're now down to heads up, and this was a very interesting hand on the river. So stack sizes at this point are something like 60, 70 big blinds deep. Uh, open from home, see min raises, you call 8-6 offsuit, 8-7-5 rainbow. It goes check, he bets 5.4 into roughly 10. Rough, sorry, roughly, yeah, roughly 10. Is there an ante? There's still an ante, right, in effect? Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, yep. so 12. You check call, turns a three, check, check. You bet eight million in the river, and he <clears throat> raises you to thirty-eight. So, what are your what are your thoughts here? The earlier streets, I think, are are kind of self-explanatory. But if you have any thoughts on earlier streets, that would be great too. Um. Yeah. So. So I'm I'm, I'm not trying to play too big pots, right? So I I, I don't know. You you tell me. I, you you're the heads up guy. You you tell me what what's what, what has to be done immediately uh, or wise on on the flop. It's if it's like how often it would raise sometimes. I don't know. I have no idea. Um, so, um, anyways, but I don't want to play too big of, of a pot usually, just just in general. Um, and on the river, um, what was it? I haven't thought about this hand since it happened, right? So I have to kind of re-remember. Re um, I bet third pot, right, on the on the river. Um, 
and yeah, when he raises big, like he, he did, he did, he did a lot of bluffing actually. Um, so I kind of, I, I remember when I bet I, I wanted to call, but I mean, he raised, he raised kind of big and I don't know, I, I, was going through it again. I mean, he could have have a have a three very easily. Of course, there there are some some hands that that that, that beat me. Um, but I thought my my hand is, is 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 good enough with with my top pair to 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 call. Basically, I don't know how relevant the the, the six is as a blocker because I think if he has a straight, he just keeps uh, betting anyways on the turn. Um, so I guess that's kind of kind of whatever. Um, but yeah, I. I, I thought, yeah, my, my, my top pair, like just just calling on the flop, just betting small on the river, is I have to call when when he raises, yeah. So, um, a few a few notes, just just kind of heads up stuff from my experiences in these spots. Um, having the six can still be good because even though he doesn't have a straight when he checks the turn, he's going to want to when he raises you. He's more likely to ri- he should be bluff raising hands with like a five in them, for example. Um, so let me think about this. Did did I, I know I know I know what you're saying? Yep. So you block him from having hands that block you. And did you think at all about a bet three bet here? Did that even cross your mind? Because yes, in this, in yeah, this yeah, situation, yeah. all right, I I forgot to tell that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like my my. I remember counting my chips there. Yeah, I, I thought about I thought about jamming, um, but then again, I I thought that he's a bit too polar um, on the on the river, and I I, I mean I I don't, I don't want the variance basically, kind of. So you just can't take the smoke I, basically. It's too too much heat. <laughs> to, I I didn't I didn't have the balls to 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 go in. Uh, yeah, I I, thought, I, I guess. The real question is on the river because I, I like how you played this hand. I mean, I think every every street's good. I think flop would have a, a small amount of raising, but it's very small, mainly check calls. Preflop is obviously standard. Um, so I think you played this hand well, and I like the river sizing. I think it, it makes a lot of sense here. I guess my question is: Is it better to bet three bet with hands like eight six, or is it better to bet three bet with hands like eight seven eight five? Um, and I I kind of think it might be better to have a six. Because I think eight seven eight five, you block some hands that could potentially turn themselves into bluffs. But it's also reasonable in these board pair spots to just only use the the double paired hands, and that way you mm-hmm. just don't over bluff, right? But you actually have a, a good chunk of hands that I think would would like to would like to bet three bet uh, this river. Um, you definitely can be trapping some straights in the flop, and um, you can have a few boats and whatnot. So you know you can't do it that often. I, I think anyway. I think that this is the kind of hand, and my audience loves when I talk when I say this. I think this is the kind of spot where I think you needed to do some folding, some calling, and some raising. I think they're all on the board here. I think, um, you know, when he risks thirty eight to win this pot, you can't just bet third pot fold all your top pairs. You're going to have to bet call some of them, and then of your eights, um, I think it's better for you to have a six than than some of the other eights. So it's probably better to bet call eight six than it is to bet call a hand like jack eight. So. Um, I think I think I like how you played this hand. I think this was a well played hand. Yeah, yeah. Um, he also he was attacking small bets kind of earlier, so um, that leads me more towards towards calling in the, in, in the spots. This is just like for forgetting the the, the strategy GTO stuff and just um, the, the player dependent tendency stuff. Yep. 
I also think that this is kind of cool from him because even though if this wouldn't be the absolute best combination to do this with, um, and I think his combination really needs to mainly bet turn. Uh, he's got open ender and he has a diamond. So I think this is just a very clear turn bet candidate. Regardless of those things, I think that let's just say that you're a newer player or I, actually, I don't know how experienced Holmes is. So maybe I'm, I'm speaking out of turn saying that not he's newer, but a more recreational type player than you need to at least put people in tough spots, right? And so it's a worse mistake to not put people in tough spots than it is to not be picking out the exact right combos all the time. And I think when you get down to heads up, you have to be willing to make some plays like this. And obviously, poker is really complicated. You can just get really deep in the into the strategy streets and com- combos and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is you're not going to get perfect spots all the time and you need to kind of put people in some tough situations. I absolutely agree. Yeah. And he was, he was doing that very well, actually. He was, I mean, he, he was putting the pressure on, I think that that's how he, how he got, got that DP. He, he made these bluffs as his tenants, uh, his, his um, he, he wasn't doing it like crazy often, but he was doing it sometimes. And um, yeah, I think he, he played because you're right. He, he wasn't that ex- experienced. He hasn't played that many tournaments before. And for that, he just played great, in my opinion. What was your strategy going into heads up? I probably should have asked this before showing a hand. But what was your strategy going into heads up? How much uh, how much experience did you have playing against him? Did you have any reads you were going to kind of go with? Did you have sort of some differences you were going to deviate away from sort of your normal game? Did you have any anything sort of like that in mind? I, I mean, it's... Of course, I prefer playing against somebody who's not a very good heads-up player, right? Don't get me wrong. But it's it's, it's sometimes not easy to... So, so, so I want to play smaller pots in general, right? Like I, I want to keep the variance low, so to speak. But if you overdo that, you just get run run over. So you have to kind of find the right balance. So yeah, I, I wanted to play kind of small blind. We, remember, we're playing with a big blind anti, which changes things a lot. So I basically don't want to fold any hands pre so my strategy was kind of kind of simple and until he finds out i'm just gonna limp my all my bad hands i'm just not gonna fold and then raise my good hands kind of wow pretty advanced stuff um (laughs) yeah and um then three bet a little less often than i normally would um uh, th- those things, th- those things. Basically, this is kind of the strategy. And then um, later on, I, I felt like he was um, he was checking back a bit too weak, maybe. So if he if he had it, he was kind of always betting. And if he didn't, he oftentimes checked. So I wanted to attack those checkbacks. But this is I, I found this out kind of kind of kind of late. So <laughs> then too many hands happening after. All right, let's talk about uh, one more hand here from from the heads up. We're going to talk about the the final hand. If you guys have not seen this hand and you're listening to the recorded version of this, I would I would recommend pausing this and watching this hand because it is an amazing hand. All right, so uh, stacks are almost exactly the same here. We're looking at uh, 70, 75, 80 big blinds effective. Um. He raises to 2.5 big blinds. You decide to call in the big blind with 10-7 suited. Are, are you three-betting these kinds of hands at all, or are you just simply um, playing a flat here? So this goes to what I just said. Um, here I'm, I'm 100% uh, calling. I, I would I, I would three-bet my strong hands, and I would, I would some 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 suit like like 8-7 suited, 7-6 suited, I would three-bet, but 10-7 I 
on my ninja score just yeah just just lower my three bed fre frequencies basically what's kind of interesting is here because he was playing a similar strategy to me actually he was kind of limping his bad hands and raising his strong hands also before that he was min raising and now he had just i think this is the second hand that he 2.5x i don't know if it means anything maybe he just changed his strategy five minutes ago but maybe it means something but um, yeah i just because he was limping a bunch i i'm not gonna over attack his his open raises so no 10 7 suited I, I would just just call basically maybe he just saw that his opponent was just being a donkey and defending everything so yeah. he realized he has to bump up the price of poker you know <laughs> also he's not getting three bet so uh larger open sizes won't suffer as much from getting equity denial i think it's pretty simple absolutely, I, absolutely. I think everyone was on that page man i think no anyways <laughs> that that's uh i should have had this prepared in the right order that's pretty flop okay so uh flop comes here you check he bets six million you check raise 19 million thoughts on check call versus check raise here on the flop um again so this is what what I what I said earlier. He was kind of um, betting. So I think when he checked back, he he had air too often, right? So this kind of if you think of it the other way, if he bets, he has a stronger hand more often. So um, I will always always check raise with with the top two, just um, get get money into the pot basically. Um, I was surprised that he called with king queen off. To be honest, um, this kind of goes into the decision later on. I. I didn't think he would have this percent, but um, this kind of supports why why check raising here is, is is important in my opinion. Is this kind of thinking something that you use in the higher higher roller tournaments as well, or is this really like main event focused thinking? Because no, this is this. Is, I feel like this is not the way that I would hear most players that have sort of your history of results talk about poker. Are you just getting fully? You're just diving into this is the main event. We're going to suspend reality. I'm I'm a street poker player. Street poker player. Okay, so we're taking the no, streets. But no, of course, I'm I'm playing um, I'm playing a bit dif differently, of course, and uh, against somebody who's who's uh, not a heads up professional, of course. Okay, I, and so I think that's I think that's I think that's important. Fair, totally fair. I mean, obviously, check raising. If you had to pick a, a decision, is is the better play, right? I mean, this is you have top two, raising top two is good, but uh, you know, I, I call every now and then. Not, not the worst. Okay, so you check raise. He decides to float king queen no heart. You were surprised by that. I'm also kind of surprised by that. Seems a little bit loose, but it, it, it sort of seems in. Um, you know, I, I feel like most years in the main event final table, there were guys that get there and they get there by just kind of just kind of fighting people tooth the nail and not being willing to give up on pots and uh, sort of put people in tough situations, make you have to earn it, and so. Uh, I'm not not too surprised to see him make this decision based off of the hands we've seen from him, but um, certainly a, a bit of a loose call without without a heart. The turn makes things very interesting. So you check raise uh, ten seven to nineteen million. He calls turns a king, so he turns top pair two flush draws on the board. Now uh, we're looking at a pot that's uh, something around. Is there uh, is on the screen somewhere? I don't I don't think so. But okay, so uh, before you bet it was about eighty five ninety million. So. 85 90 million and no actually no 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 because they both both bets are in there already so it's like 50 million i think no right oh okay that makes sense so yeah so you bet million in there you bet two there's pot what, what are your thoughts here on the turn i think it's it's 
tell me if I'm wrong. I think it's pretty pretty interesting decision because I have kind of a cool hand to check jam. And of course, I have kind of a cool hand to bet because I, um, so I think it's pretty close. Um, I would say both options are possible. I'm I'm not 100% sure. Um, I think, and so again, it comes back to to, to reads a little bit. Um, you can always use them if, if 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 you like. If I think when I check, he bets a little bit too much, then it's great to to check jam that hand. Um, and I'm not sure in hindsight what what's the better play is. If it's just same EV, I I don't know. In, in that instance, I I decided to just pick the e easier line. Kind of, I don't I don't know to to just bet myself. I kind of miss uh, yeah I, I wanted to bet a little bigger like uh, yeah i have a little bit more than pot left it's not a huge deal but i feel like i'd rather have gone a little bit bigger so it's like exactly pot left or so on the river yeah I, I think normally solvers tend to like geometric sizing in spots like this so yeah uh, i also have found in a bunch of stuff i've run that double flush draw boards tend to like even bigger sizes on the turn um yeah. than other boards so that, yeah, I kind of kind of messed this up. He had, I mean, this is I, I like I was thinking a lot uh, in that hand, but apparently even not enough, right? Like, so you I know, I I think sometimes bit. you just gotta slow down, man. Slow down, take your time, think about your decisions. Anyway, but I, I obviously this is this is a completely fine line. When you have good hands, typically you want to value bet. Betting should be your main line of the turn. I do think check raise uh, is going to get in there a bunch, and it it is a nice line to take because obviously you unblock all of the bluffs and then also you block a lot of the hands that are just trying to show down exactly, so yeah. it has a bunch of properties that make it nice for uh, the double check raise but i i also think that uh just betting again is is totally fine there's a lot of hands that are going to consider consider floating again right you're going to have nine eight jack nine just picked up a double gutter uh either flush draw is certainly possible he's not going to fold a 10 he's certainly not going to fold if you turn to king he he might continue with some sevens in this spot. Realistically, that could happen. Maybe at this point he feels like he needs to lay those down, but that's also possible. So, I I think that there's a a very good chunk of hands that can continue here. And yeah, I think I think this is good. You know, I think it's fine overall. Obviously, I think his 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 decision at this point is is just a no brainer. You're clearly calling turns, so seems yeah, good. yeah, yeah. Okay. And uh, we have a little bit of a spoiler here with the oh. arms up celebrating, guys. Spoiler alert. Corey won the main. Oh, I hate the break with everybody's just brutal spoilers in the pot. Okay, so this is where things I think get really interesting. You check. Well, let's start off with that. What are your thoughts on uh, on options on the river here for you? Yeah, so again, this is, I think, very close um, between some options. Um, so this is, again, this is, this is totally player-specific now why I think check is better, and I still think check is better uh, against him. Um, I feel like I'm not getting hero card basically. Um, he did make some laydowns earlier with, with like top pair kind of hands in way smaller pots. So um, yeah, I feel like if I if, if I jam myself here, he might fold a hand like king queen, um, and there aren't many. So pre flop, I don't think he has. 10, 7, I don't think he has 10 deuce or 7 deuce really because he was limping that kind of hands. So, and if, if I don't get caught by one pair, then I kind of have a problem with that when I'm value, value jamming myself with two pair. 
Um, plus he was um, he was kind of bluffing a decent amount. So I'm just thinking, yeah, check has to, to be better against him. And um, yeah, basically my decision is, okay, I'm going to check call. Did, did you think at all about a block bet in this spot? Um, a little bit. I I don't know. I yeah. Again, I kind of I I kind of wanted uh, him him to, to but I, I don't know if did you do you think a block bet makes makes that much sense in that in that spot? Maybe. I I don't know. I don't know. Um, I was I, I was mostly like I, I thought I thought he had a little bit less less left. I thought um, I. I don't really want to have a block betting strategy in that in, in that spot. Okay. I don't know if it's uh... yeah, that's kind of reasonable. It's a weird river because even though three straights complete, neither player should really have them that much. I mean, maybe you have a little queen jack with a heart, and maybe he has a little queen jack with a heart too. But neither one of you should really have jack eight or eight six unless it's also a flush draw. So yeah, yeah. I mean, with a flush draw, it's of course possible. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm, I'm just saying it's not a very large number of combos. So even though that you know now we have three straights, they're actually not that that threatening. So I feel like I would be inclined to try and get some value here mainly. But um, yeah, I feel like I feel like it should probably be some kind of value bet. I don't know. Maybe may, maybe it's too thin. Yeah, I think um, I, I I assume. I assume uh, so. It's it's mostly like bet yourself, um, but for the reasons I mentioned earlier, I think against him, it's it's nicer to check. And then, um, of course, it's a reasonable question: Why did I take that long then? When I when my plan was to check call and to actually check call, um, I don't know, man. It was a huge spot, right? Kind of. Well, what? Um, so just before we talk about your check call, this is a really puzzling bluff from him here. This is a very puzzling bluff because. When you have top pair, you're going to win a lot when you go check check. Because if you have a hand like jack nine or nine eight, this is going to be a very common line that you take. If you have a hand like, let's say you check raised a weaker king um, on the flop, maybe king X of hearts or something, hit a king, this is going to be the line that you take. Let's say that you ha- you just had ace four hearts and you don't think this is a good bluff combo. This is going to be a line that you take. And then most of the better hands, most of those hands are going to fold. So, is this is this a value bet or a bluff? What do you think? I think he thought he had the best hand. Um, I mean, you said you want to bet two pair yourself, right? So if he he thinks that way too, I mean, if he thinks he always has the best best hand, kind of, if I then uh, it's a fair fair thin value bet. Um, I think against the way, like. The heads up was going. It's too thin of a value bet, which shows my 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 tank with ten seven. But um, yeah, I think I think I think he thought he had the best hand. I think he wanted it to 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 be over. Kind of, I think that was the the, the main thinking. Um, to be honest, yeah, I haven't talked to him um, about the hand since we just had a brief chat. Um, so I don't know for sure, but yeah, I, I don't think I don't think he was he was bluffing. Okay, yeah, yeah. I don't know why I just it. it I, I started to go on the line of why is he bluffing with this, and then I realized, wait, he's not bluffing. But the thing is, this is just so thin. This is so thin in the sport to be jamming this hand. 
Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, if you if you had a hand like King Eight of Hearts, that could it could have gotten really ugly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, yeah. I mean, if 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 I if I bet, yeah, if I bet my, on my bigger hands, my uh, myself, I I think in the in the solver, this this might be nice nicely played hand by him actually, just against the way we we played. I think it's a bit too thin. Hmm. I need to think about this. Yeah, it feels too thin. Feels too thin to me. Okay. Um, but then again, what can I say? I mean, I, I barely play poker these days. Uh, <laughs> yeah, when you checked and he jammed, I saw some people complaining that you slow rolled him. So why did you slow roll him? <laughs> um, Was it animosity that built up over the tournament? You just want to, I want to let this guy know. This is this is my tournament. I'm winning the main here. <laughs> yeah, no, I wanted I wanted the TV time, right? I, I wasn't uh, I wasn't planning on leaving anytime soon. I wanted to make stuff. No, um, no, of course I'm like this is a this is all the money is in the middle. We're playing for four million, right? Just uh, so I, I wanted to, to to think about it for for a minute. Um, just go go through the hand, uh, the combos one one more time. Did I like mess something up? Just make sure this is a way play. Also, as I said, he had a little bit more chips than I, I thought. So, uh, but yeah, I in the end I figured okay, this is still too good of a hand. I actually like <laughs> this is kind of the issue, right? I'm I'm thinking I have a bluff catcher pretty much. I don't think he has. I didn't think he would have king, king queen. So I just went through the, the bluffs he could have again. Went through the the hands that that beat me because a lot of hands beat me. <laughs> but yeah, I figured okay, no. I have to call I mean, this hand and hope he, yeah, hope he doesn't have it. <laughs> I, I really don't think that many hands beat you. <clears throat> I think King Ten beats you. I think Ten Nine beats you. I think the sets beat you. I think that the the couple of straights that have the flush draws also beat you. But I, I don't actually think that that that's that many combos, right? I think it's it's a very it's a fairly small number of combos that actually beat you here. Yeah, fair. I mean. Depends. It depends. Kind of. Um, does he have queen jack with a heart? Stuff like that. Um, then get. Then it's a few more combos. I mean. Then there are some some sets. Then yeah. Does he does he fast play always the sets? Does he have have those uh, in there? Yeah. But it depends on a few things. But yeah. In the end, I agree with you that he has he has enough bluff combos versus his his value combos. Yeah. All right. At some point, here, I might I might run that through the solver and see what it says. Just 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 so I can. I feel like it's going to check the king queen though, but we'll we'll find out. All right, so that was the exciting conclusion of the main event. You won, you did it. Journey over. You're you're now going to get a banner in the in the I guess Bally's now. We're going to have a banner of you up there. <laughs> this leads me to my first question: Does being the World Series of Poker main event winner, as the main event winner, do you feel like you now have a responsibility to grow the game because? This is a conversation that's talked about a lot when someone wins the main and people do all kinds of different things, right? Some people just say that's I'm done and they just peace out. Some people play all the kinds of events. Some people go on to high six poker and lose everything when you have Kings versus someone's aces. I'm not going to name any names. Do you feel like you have a responsibility now to help grow the game and to represent poker as sort of the ambassador? I don't know if it's a responsibility. Um, I, I mean, of, of course. Um, so far, I got some 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 media um, questions. I I, 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 will, I will do a couple of stuff like like the, the, this podcast. Like, why why would I say no to that? Um, but I I don't know what the future is going to bring. Of course, some some people like step back from poker, but 
not only main event winners did other people stepped away from poker too i don't know what, what it's going to bring to my poker career whatever you want to call it um i really don't know I'm, I, I still haven't been home yet right so this still feels like the wow since the main yeah wow <laughs> I, I was in florida for a few days and now i'm actually in vegas but now i'm kind of over it so it's like two three more days and then I'm, i'll be home but essentially this is still like the same kind of trip that i've been taking right so um i think once i once i'll be home and everything gets a little clearer i i might think about it differently but for now i i don't know what what the future is going to bring i, I still want to want to play some poker for sure but but who knows maybe in in, in a year or so i think okay this, why, why am i doing this uh, still I don't know, but I I, I like the game and um, I will, will continue playing a bit. I, I would imagine, and um, yeah, regarding the ambassador kind of thing, I don't know. I'll try try it out. Like I haven't been big on social media be, before. I, I I guess I post a little more um, now, but um, once I realize okay, this isn't fun, then then I'll I'll just step back. So yeah, don't not not too worried about that. Easy enough. Easy enough. Yeah, I think that can can get a little overblown that people think now you need to represent poker. And I also think that people have this this incredible overestimation of the number of people that get involved based on the main event winners saying good things about poker. Like when Kui win won, all of a sudden we're going to have thousands of guys in raccoon hats playing poker. It was never going to happen, guys. So I, I, I tend to think that that stuff gets overblown. But I do think it is nice for the community to have the main event champion actively in the street playing events. And oftentimes it can be a catalyst towards kind of building your brand and having longevity in poker and people know you as a personality is, is by continuing to be active in the community once, once you do win the main event. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I guess I, um, the, the, the funny thing is I think I was better at, well, like the, the best I was at poker um, compared to the field it was like three, three, four years ago. Uh, it was better than, than I am now. So this is kind of funny that I won the main now, but um, Jamie Gold won the main event, and I can guarantee you that he wasn't very far ahead of the field that year. Just just <laughs> going out, going out on a limb. So you think it's possible to win the main event if, even if you're not the best player? <laughs> I think sometimes they just get lucky. I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes they get <laughs> yeah. lucky. Um, but yeah, I will. I will um, continue playing some some high rollers and and so on, and yeah, let's see where it takes me. Also, I, I, I promise you guys, I will say good things about, about poker when I when I'm on the the mainstream Austrian television shows or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> good, good. Did you buy anything fun after the main? Buy anything fun, dude? I haven't been home yet, so no. I I, I guess. No, I mean not, not directly. We went. We we had a we had a nice nice party on the weekend, so that was kind of a big bill, I guess. <laughs> so, um, but other than that, um, nope, nope, nope. Okay, uh, we kind of talked about this, talked about that. Um, m- my last couple of notes here were: Do you have anything that you're planning on doing with the money from an investment standpoint? <laughs> You don't have to plug uh, anything. You're whatever you're into. Yeah, damn, I don't even have anything to plug. No, um, yeah, I'm trying, <laughs> slowly trying to figure things out. Like, um, I, I, I'm not sure if you've heard about this, but there's this thing called um, crypt, crypto. Hmm. Oh, interesting. And, uh, I think one day it's going to be big. <laughs> I might look into that a little bit. Um, we'll see. But uh, yeah, nothing, nothing I can I can show here. No. 
<laughs> Let's end with one last question then. Do you have any advice for younger players coming up in poker today, or maybe not even younger players, but newer players who are trying to live the poker dream? What do you have to say to those people? Mm. Yeah, it depends where 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 you are on your on your journey, I guess. Right. So I, I think it's important to when you start playing that you enjoy the game and not are in it for the money. Kind of. I think this is kind of a big deal. When when I started playing, or like I think most of my friends started playing, it was kind of a cool thing playing cards. You you played some video games maybe before and now you you uh, there's this thing called called poker maybe you can even earn a little bit but i i think it's a point that's not that that's not the main thing you're, you're worrying about um and if you realize okay you're having having fun at it and you're good at it then then might maybe try it out going like professionally at some point but i think the the most important thing is to to, to just enjoy it and if you realize okay you can handle the the, the, the swings we talked about earlier in tournaments for instance and it's probably not the not the right thing right thing to do, but I think poker is a is, is a is a really cool game. So, yeah, awesome. Well, thank you for coming on today and, and walking us through uh, your experience in the main and and breaking those hands down for us. Yeah, sure. It was uh, it was fun to be here. And, yeah. For people that want to follow you now that you're going to be posting on social media, apparently, <laughs> as you said, where can they follow you at? Um, Instagram and Twitter is both the same handle, I think. K O O R A A Y ninety. So my, basically, my name ninety, but two O's and two A's. Okay, cool. Well, you guys can follow Corey there. Uh, I'm sure he'll have uh, more insightful <laughs> things to say along the way. That's going to be a wrap here in the Doug Polk Podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in. We are going to be joined on Friday by Hikaru Nakamura. Is going to talk to us about chess, the state of chess. AI and chess, all kinds of chess stuff. Maybe we can even talk a little poker with him. I'm sure he's played poker a time or two. That's going to do it for us. Thank you guys for tuning in. I'll see you on Friday.